This is the Chinwag Junkie Podcast. I'm your host, Joy Stone. Welcome to another episode. Um, and I think because the cost of living is so tough for a lot of families now. I mean, I was we were lucky as a family when I was growing up that mum was able to spend a lot of time with us at home the way you know I mean and they they scrimped you know we we didn't have all of the extras they they didn't have credit cards and they didn't you know people I think are very over committed in terms of their expenses these days as well because it's so easy to get these you know quick short-term loans that have these massive interest rates and after pay and all of that and you know it sort of didn't wasn't around when I was a kid and we were lucky enough to have mum at home quite a lot and she worked full-time for, for a while there um, when they were trying to build their their home in Toowoomba mm-hmm. and were saving up for that. But, you know, we, we just had a lot more of that quality family time. And Dad was in the army, so he'd go away a bit, but lucky as I got a bit older, um, he was going away less and less. Um, but I think it's just it's interesting to see now what a struggle it is for families and, and it is really difficult to to have someone, um, if, if, if you're wanting to stay home with the kids, it's, it's really difficult for families to be able to afford either a mortgage or rent plus the cost of living on top of that. And then, you know, depending on where they send their kids to school, you've obviously got school fees mm-hmm. to pay, after school activities. It's, yeah, I, I really feel for families at the moment. And, and that's probably one of the things that's coming up a lot at the moment is, is just how, when, when I'm in my rounds with the community, is how tough it is for families right now. And, and I think people are, with the amount of national debt that we're in at the moment, I think people can see the writing on the wall where things are headed as well. So you're speaking of national debt. Um, I bring that up in uh, every political comment that is on Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Um, yeah, a lot of people, when I first started talking about it, and I'm talking uh, maybe six or seven months ago, uh, I knew we were in a lot of debt. Um, I not even I realised how much, just how much it was though. And when I used to comment talking about one point four trillion dollars debt, I used to get called everything like basically telling me I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Yep. Uh, and there was no there was no news news coverage on it at all there was no uh political parties or or anyone speaking about this huge network there there would have been a couple i can't say none but there would have been a couple but it wasn't it wasn't at the forefront of people's minds no um and and that's really changed now i, I like like a lot of things uh it's coming to the forefront of like it's coming to the minds of people like 1.4 trillion dollars debt with a population of 25 million uh everyone screams about america how much debt america's in we're not far behind population no. adjusted mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not talking about 30 trillion compared to 1.8 i'm talking about the 330 million people that are there yep. compared to the 25 that we have thereabouts yep. um if you if you <laughs> the population adjusted number is somewhere in the vicinity of $24 trillion. So the percentage debt that each person in Australia carries is not that far off America. And people, people aren't, well, they are starting to realize this now because, you know, I know they're blaming the Ukraine Russia crisis Mm -hmm. for everything. We were in debt well before that happened, you know, well before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, and I guess that's sort of what's led me to to doing what I'm what I'm doing now, which is um, obviously I'm the candidate for groom for United Australia Party. Um, I've never had an interest in politics, to tell you the truth. I, I still not particularly, you know, uh, it's not really a world that I ever saw myself getting involved in or wanting to. Um, but I've always been one of those people where if you want to see change. You have to you have to be part of the change, and unfortunately, um, the system that we have now, I don't agree with. I agree that we there's a lot of changes that need to be made within the political arena, um, but sadly, unless we get good people in there, those changes aren't going to happen so um, what changes specifically well I'm pretty concerned about the level of corruption that I think everyone is becoming more and more aware of across Mm -hmm. the different levels of government Um, we see in the way that party members are being treated as well I mean that's Mm -hmm. coming out more and more you had George Christensen on not that long ago um, who I've got a lot of respect for him and, and in his final departing speech in parliament he spoke about um, in the Liberal Party, if you go against the, the party line, you get ostracised, whereas the Labor Party, they you know completely you kick out. you out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really wrong. When you're an elected representative of the, of the people, you should be able to freely express that. And that's, you know, I've got a big problem with the major parties and the fact that they're having to, to toe that party line and it takes away their freedom to vote um, you know, on behalf of the people that who've chosen them to be in that role. So, um, yeah, I guess that's sort of one of the reasons why I started. I mean, I should probably do a little bit of an intro so people know. Um, oh a yeah, bit yeah. About my Sorry, background. Yeah, no, that's all right. We, into that, we're having yeah. a conversation, yes. so we're gonna we'll go yes. off on all veer off on whatever tracks we go down. But yes. um, I guess so I'm a Toowoomba local through and through. I was born in Townsville. I mentioned earlier that my dad was in the army, so um, my family was based in Townsville at the time when I was born. Um, so I've got two older brothers and um, my parents. Uh, so we, we moved here when I was very young. So I went to, grew up here, went to kindy here, preschool here, um, joined, you know, mum had me going to those mother's groups when I was really small. I went to Rangeville um, Primary School and then St. Saviour's High School. And I, um, you know, it was a couple of times where I thought I would move away and um, started making plans to do that. And then for some reason, you know, a new job came up or for some reason I, I stayed here, a new relationship. So I've just, um, they always stayed here. My family's here. They've had stints where they've moved away or my oldest brother's moved away, but everyone's sort of come back here. So my two older brothers are here with their wives and their families as well. So we you know, we're pretty, pretty deep rooted in the groom community. And I, um, I own a home here as well. So I'm um, not planning to go anywhere anytime soon. And obviously growing up here, I've got a lot of friends here mm-hmm. um, that I've met, you know, over my working career and friends that I'm, you know, met when I went to primary school and preschool with that I'm still in contact with as well, which is great. So um, yeah, I guess what happens here in our specific community is really personal to me. So, you know, I think that's one of the things in politics is we, there are people when they can see that, you know, it's, it's a seat that can be won, they might put their hands up to run in that electorate, but they're not local to mm. that area. So I just think they don't have the same passion and drive. It's not personal for them when they when they haven't grown up here and they mm-hmm. don't know all of the people here. So I think yeah, it's, it sort of brings a different element to it. Pull that a bit closer oh, to you. Yep. Am I not talking high? No, that's <laughs> <Better>. okay. <Yeah. laughs> so that's a bit about my, I guess, my personal background. And I've, I've had a, a bit of a varied career whilst I've grown up as well. I um, had, a, had a stint in real estate and I worked in for Heritage Bank. I think most of the people that mm-hmm. live in, <laughs> in Toowoomba area or in this area have probably worked for Heritage or have got, you know, a friend or family member who have. Yes, I had... Uh... 
definitely friends. Um, yeah. My first bank was with Heritage. Yep. Um, I think I quit them when they became a bank, though. Yeah, when they went away from building society. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just, the it was the feel of it, right? And the feel yeah. of it uh, just sort of, it was very much more corporate. And yeah. um, I don't know. I think for them, they still work for their members, but the term building society was so sort of far removed from people. But I mean, I, I mean, I think the culture has changed a lot since I was there and it's been quite a few years since I was there too. Mm-hmm. The CEO at the time, a lot of people would, were, he, John Minns, he was a very well, well-respected man and, and loved amongst the heritage community. He just took the time to get to know people's names. I, yeah, he was just an incredible man. And, and I really think that culture... Um, comes from the top no matter sort of what industry or workplace you're Mm -hmm, in and mm -hmm. he really set the tone for you know making everyone feel like they were important and valued as a CEO it was pretty special I remember I don't remember meeting him but I dare say that that's where we went um we went to the top floor of the heritage building and I was with the gold stuff on the ceiling yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I was maybe six years old oh wow um so I can't say who we went to meet but I went with my grandfather yeah and I remember being so impressed with that thing it was the tallest building that I'd been in (laughs) how many how many stories is it eight or Uh, something (laughs) I think yeah I think it's six I think it's six, but it would have felt like yeah, very I so, high. I was so impressed with it. It was very cool. But anyways, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so well, I had my bit of time at Heritage and, and that was really good. Um, and from there, um, I also um, spent some time, I worked for Suncorp and processed insurance claims. That was certainly eye-opening for me. And um, I, I found that job really difficult to someone who's very empathetic to what people are going through. It was really hard to... Say no to people. Yeah, or having to deliver bad news. Or, you know, one of the things that we had to do was ask someone to pay their excess up front. And I just couldn't do it. You Mm -hmm. know, people be ringing their their houses had burnt down or, you know, obviously they, they were in a really a lot of the time something terrible had happened. And I'm sorry, I can't, I can't go around asking you to to mm-hmm. pull out your credit card when we're trying to get some things happening for you where the houses have been flooded. And so I think, um, you know, trying to meet KPIs like that, just the um, the empathetic side of me found that really difficult. And, and it's, yeah, I found it a, a bit draining, I think, at times, just hearing all the awful situations where pe- people were in. And, and I, I worked there, I can't remember exactly what year it was. It was a couple of years after the 2011 floods. And we still had people ringing then whose claims still hadn't been settled. And it, it was a couple of years and they were still having to chase things up from that. And I thought that was sort of one of the things that started tweaking for me there. I'm like, oh, we're really not doing enough to look after people here. No, um, that's crazy. so many forgotten Australians. So, um, yeah, so safe to say that wasn't really uh, place for me it was a good environment I met lots of great people and I certainly learned a lot it's been really in in important I guess for me going forward as, as being a homeowner and even renegotiating my car insurance and contents insurance and home insurance every year um, even private health it was it was a really really insightful to you know we had to know those policy documents back to front mm-hmm. so it's been really helpful and I've been able to help other people sort of along the way with navigating um, anything to do with insurance and it's funny you bring that up because again, just a couple of days ago, um, I was speaking about the talking about this. Uh, what what we should be learning in school and mm. economics and you know how taxes work, how where they go, what they do, 
um, you know, things like you're talking about, re renegotiating insurance policies, um, the excess that you need, whether you're insured, insured or not, there's always an excess. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can usually insure for more, pay more pr premiums, um, so you don't have a bigger excess, but at the end of the day, you've always got to have something in the bank to pay your excess so yeah. you can get your insurance in most cases. Go, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I think um, one of the good books that came out that people were were really getting into, it was a couple of years back now, was The Barefoot Investor. So I oh, thought yeah. about, yeah, what he <laughs> talked about was great. It's just common sense stuff. And, you know, and, and that's how we were sort of brought up as well mm -hmm. um, when mm -hmm. I was growing up is just, you know, you live within your means. And um, so a lot of that stuff, I, you know, I was happy. I was like, oh, I've already implemented a lot of that. And, you know, I had a credit card when I was 20 and mm -hmm. I cut it up pretty quickly when I realized <laughs> that wasn't a good idea for me. So got it up, paid it off and I haven't had one since. So um, I think it's just a lot of the stuff that he spoke was common sense. And, and there was a lot of information in there, obviously about insurances as well, because when you think about it, people don't claim on their insurances very often. So, I mean, everyone's got to weigh it up for themselves and, and look into it for themselves, but there's definitely a lot of savings to be had and it's worth, you know, once a year, just making a few phone calls and getting a few different quotes. And yeah, for sure. But I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and, and yeah, the, the way that it is at the moment, no one, no one talks about it. And I mean, my parents aren't exactly, you know, economically savvy. They're probably better than myself, but you know, it's just getting worse and worse. Well, yeah, you know, objectively it's getting worse and worse especially when it comes to, you know, literacy in that sense. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no talk of it in school. I mean, maybe I've done one term of something like economics, but I mean, we learned how to balance a checkbook yeah. and do this sort of thing. Like yeah, that, it's irrelevant that was, now. Yeah, that was <laughs> outdated by 20 years when I was going through school. Yeah. So just... It, none of it made sense to me then it still doesn't make sense to me now why I learned it but yeah. anyway that's I agree there's so many practical skills I think that we do miss out on um, at school and maybe there's an assumption that we'll be taught that by our parents but I think they're really important basic skills that we definitely do need to to concentrate on teaching mm. people in school just mm. just getting more I don't even know how we can do it but just getting the information out there about you know how important it is to renegotiate your insurance or if you have a mortgage every year or even every six months for me I will I ring up my lender and say I you know what deal can you do for me can you do me a better rate and every time I've done that they've just dropped it automatically over the phone for me I don't mm -hmm. have to tell them what other banks are doing they just they, they do it so, yeah they already know <laughs> exactly so you know um without having to go to a whole lot of effort there's savings to be had there but people just aren't aware of it mm. or are afraid to make the call but what's the worst that can happen they can yeah, say no or you'll find a better deal else. somewhere else yeah. and you might save yourself a few hundred dollars might even be a lot more than that mm. depending on what they come up with so um I think that's really important I and mean, I never got taught how to do a tax return either you know mum mum helped me in the the younger days when when I you know was just sort of starting out and had to do it but as my um financial situations got a bit more complicated it was something that I've, I've outsourced mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. but yeah it's just those important basic skills and I, I think it's it's a bit scary where I can see maybe our education system is heading and I think that's that that is a, a worry for a lot of people that I've been speaking to recently. I think there's a lot of conversations that need to be had between 
parents and their children Mm -hmm. whereas now there's where we're heading in some directions where i I think it's inappropriate um lessons that teachers might be might be having to teach children Mm -hmm. that um that yeah so i think that's that's a bit of a worry for me and a lot of people that have kids in terms of where things are going in terms of teaching kids about sexuality and um yeah a few other issues i guess that are coming up at the moment i just don't think that that, there's a time and a place for that yeah for sure um so obviously the whole world knows about florida's the Mm. the bill that's been branded don't say the don't say gay bill yeah um which is kind of crazy because it doesn't it's that's not actually what it is i guess it's just the wrong people don't like it and they have a lot of influence with social media and it's caught on, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely know what you're saying. I don't yeah, think it's I, a controversial topic, obviously. Um, it is, but I yeah. don't think that whether you're straight, gay or other, mm. I don't think you should be teaching, well, kids. I don't think you should be teaching kids about sex and sexuality at such a young age. I 100% agree. They don't even know how to do multiplication and know their times tables by then, yet we're teaching them about sexuality. Mm. I think it's we're taking children's, yeah, we're and taking I, their childhood away from them. I think it's inappropriate. And and I'm all for, I'm 100% all about everyone being accepted. Everyone should be able to live the life the way that they choose. And I don't- Kids already want, do that though, Yeah, right? exactly. So we don't need to be going into detail about that. I, I think and that's not a conversation to be I, had at school. I also want to add much. that there is a big, difference between teaching body parts anatomy yes. and, and 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 you know that sort of thing and and teaching explicit content there's no other word yeah, for it let's be serious exactly. um you know I th- I, there is a big difference between that and i don't have a problem with with my kids being taught what they have yeah so to speak um but yeah that's that's about as far as I would like a, a school teacher to yeah. take it. If they've if they've got any other questions, I would like to. Like, I think parents have a have a uh, role to play. Uh, they have to step up to the plate. When yeah. I think I think uh, as as society has progressed, if you want to call it that, uh, progressed through time. Um, yeah, we've outsourced. Like you were saying with about your taxes, we've outsourced. A lot. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things we have outsourced. And I don't think we should be. I agree. And I think it is challenging too, because I think a lot of teachers feel that they've had to step into the role of parent. I think because a lot of Mm. the way, you know, the way the lifestyles sort of are of people at the moment as well. So I think it's for me, I'd like to see us getting back to a lot more of that grassroots family stuff. And that's where a lot of my values lie and that's sort of how we've been brought up is I, yeah and community coming yes. together and supporting each other we're just getting so far removed from that you know people don't know their neighbors anymore <laughs> we don't have the the same um i guess you know values or, or we seem to be living a lot differently to how it was when i grew up and and obviously there's a lot of progress and development we can't stay the same all the time but i just think i'd like to see a lot more of, of that happening and everyone not being so in their bubbles where everyone's just so busy all the time and we're working so hard for all these these things that we not necessarily can can't necessarily afford to have these extravagant lifestyles or just yeah convenience everything that's sold to us as convenience is generally not been great for us so yeah for sure yeah it's just getting back to that and remembering what's really important all right so do you think that you can win the seat 
Look, we're obviously up against a lot. It's one of it's the second safest Liberal seat. Mm. And I think the reason that we've got a lot of people in this area who are still voting Liberal is because they believe that they are the most conservative of all of the parties. And well, my opinion is that I don't know, I don't think that they are as conservative as people think. I think they perhaps once were, but I think they've strayed a long way from their roots and what they've stood for. So mm -hmm. You know, I think if people can realise that there is another conservative option out there, if they can forget all of the fanfare and all of the noise about, about Clive and, and all of that, I think they'll start to see that our values actually are quite conservative as well. You know, just common sense stuff. Mm -hmm. Common sense party is what I think that we really are who stand for Australian values. Um, look, obviously, it'd be a massive shake-up. I don't think in the in all the time that we've been established here in Groom, have we ever really steered too far from Liberals, Nationals, or I think there was Australian Citizens Party. Um, and we've never had a female um, representative in this area here either, which I think is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And not to get on the bandwagon um, about that either, because I, I don't think... Um, obviously, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman, <laughs> um, and I don't. Um, I, I, you know, I don't. I don't want to go down that path so much because I think it's more about the substance of the representative rather than their gender. Best person I think for the job. Best person for the job. Exactly. It's not about male, female here. I just think that's a really interesting point that we've only ever had men representing us here. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know if there's a time to do it. I think it's this election. And, and just obviously I've been getting uh, out and about a fair bit in the community recently. And there's a lot of support out there, more than I realised actually. We did a bit of a roadside group this morning. So I've got my yellow shirt on. You can sort of see the top of it. There was we'll, a, get, we'll get a photo. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get a photo of that. Um, there was a big group of us this morning and I had so many volunteers show up. I had no idea how many people were going to show up. And, and we had a big group of people just really keen, like people just want to see change. And it was really great to see majority of people were giving us waves or thumbs ups or toots or smiles or, you know, a lot more than in anyone who was who was doing the opposite and mm -hmm. and then just in my tours around the community I've had so many people coming up saying you know we've always voted for the majors but we won't this time we feel so betrayed by them we're sick of this two-party system it's corrupt we need more people in there who are actually for the people and aren't career politicians or haven't been handpicked for these roles and you know groomed for them from a young age and then just popped on in when pre-selection time comes so look can we win it I don't know I'm, I'm certainly in it to win it um I think the good thing about our parties too is the minor parties are all working together. And this mm -hmm. is something that I've been trying to highlight on my social media recently is that you're not going to see Labor and Liberal out there campaigning together, whereas we're doing that. It's mm -hmm. it's literally us, the minor parties who stand for a lot of the same values and principles are standing together. And for me, at the end of the day, if it's not me, I hope it's one of those guys, as long as it's not Liberal and Labor, you know, as long as it's not one of the majors, I, I hope it is one of those guys. And um, Grant Abraham from One Nation and I are actually going to do a bit of a tour of the electorate together, mm -hmm. just introduce ourselves and say, you know, well, you you decide your preferences, so you've got to put people somewhere. So, so the yeah. preferences. Yes. This is, this is one yeah. thing. <laughs> so much misinformation. Oh, man, it's everywhere. I think every time I, I, the Chronicle posts something about voting, mm -hmm. it's you always get this, you know, a vote for yeah. one of the minor parties is just a vote for liberals. liberals. And, it's, and I'm like, if, 
if that's how you vote, then yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> but if you have the preferences, you know, no one can give your preference away to another party. So if you vote correctly, yeah, and 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 that's the big thing, correctly, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, they 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 can't just move your vote from yeah. one person to the other. We're not in that sort of a society yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not in that sort of society and and you know it's just it's it's crazy the amount of people that say it yes is just- oh and I just don't know how to overcome that honestly I feel like I get that question multiple times a day and it's just because Australians have never you know majority of Australians have never shown an interest in politics before I've never you know our system's complicated I'm still learning I've never mm-hmm, shown an interest mm-hmm. in politics before either and I think it's just overcoming that because again that's not really something we're taught about in depth at school which mm-hmm. I think is actually really important so it's overcoming that I think there's been a lot of confusion too because there was a, a preference arrangement between the Liberal Democrats who mm-hmm. are very they're vastly different from the Liberals so people just yes. hear that name Liberal Democrats and they just assumed that there's a, a preference deal. That's where our preferences are going for United Australia Party to the Liberals. And that's just not the case. If people went and had a look at the policies that the Liberal Democrats have, I think they would be, you know, I think they would definitely be considering them, make sure they're worthy of a vote as well. Mm-hmm. So, and when we talk about preference deals as well, it's not some sort of backroom deal. It's literally, if we had a Liberal Democrats candidate here in Groom, which we don't, when I'm handing out how to vote cards, it'll have me number one and they would have been on there as number two. So that's how that works. If you don't, if you don't resonate with that, with what that party has to offer, you don't have to follow the photo, the how to vote card. You can, you can change the order. So it's mm-hmm. a guide. I mean, um, that's certainly how we recommend you vote. And now the party will do an analysis of the order um, to try and help give us the best chance. So obviously that's how we recommend you vote, but it's totally up to the voter. We cannot go and yeah. just take a big chunk of votes and say we're giving them to the Liberals. I think the other thing that came that why that sort of keeps coming up as well is that UAP have, have run before and, you know, they we didn't want to see a Labor government. So mm. they certainly had a campaign at the time that was, you know, a bit more, well, you know, we definitely, you know, it was a bit of a campaign, I guess, against the, the Labor Party as well in a previous election. So a lot of people have still got that mis- misinformation there around how that works. But our advice is put the majors dead last. Yeah, definitely. Um, so... I believe most people know who Topher Field is by this yeah, late stage. I haven't seen his marbles videos. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, his that is brilliant. That yeah. that's little demonstration that he done. Um, it really highlights and you know explicitly explains how it works. And yeah. and I post it often. I, yes. I um, you know, with the with all the comments like we were talking about with all the comments where you know, vote for whoever is just a vote for this major party. Um, yeah, I always post that and and I don't, I've never gotten a, a return reply, like a, an argument back mm. after, I'm guessing, at least a few Hopefully of them have watched watch it. it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think whether whether a minor party wins or or what the, what the result of this uh, election is, I think it's going to, make the major parties at least rethink the the path that they're going down like you yeah. mentioned before liberals have i, I believe um and i'm 
fairly well anti-government of all yeah. descriptions. So I. Uh, yeah. Funnily enough. Um, but yeah, I, I I sort of think that they've they've the Overton window has definitely moved a, a long way to the left. Yeah. Um, and I mean the budget sort of highlights that you know liberals aren't meant to be you know, cash splashing let's call yeah. it and and this one they seem to just be buying votes at yeah. wherever they can i mean and and it's a joke as well like oh yeah 420 dollars for a year for cost of living expenses what like a joke that's gone for most families in a week or yeah. I'm just trying to fill up with feel like it is totally a vote buying exercise that 250 dollars if you spread that out you know you can barely if you work that out you can barely save it up to buy a cup of coffee a day Mm. it's just Mm. insanity and it's i think the concerning thing too is that they've done a six-month budget Mm. it's six months Mm. you know halving the fuel excise for six months um what's happening after six months yeah well i believe it was it's a it's a safe budget so they've 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 thrown all this money around to try and buy votes to get themselves Mm. back in and then in six months just in case they lose you know the and the and the fuel excise comes back in they can attack labor and and say you know they they let the fuel come back the Mm. the fuel excise they've brought that back in and all this sort of stuff and cost of living's up now and you know it's just it's it's pure politics yeah 100 it was interesting too with that and it's not something that i've looked into but i received a bit of information this morning about with them halving the fuel excise that actually negatively impacts the trucking industry and farmers because they lose uh, they get a rebate i'm told um on that fuel excise so again i I can't i haven't actually had much of a chance to look into i've just sent the information before so if that's correct then halving this fuel excise is actually harming them more because they're missing out on a percentage of this rebate so again that's something that i'll have to look into and and other people might be able to help me out with that and and other people might be more across that but if that's the case and that's you know a bit of an indian giver kind of a situation there for a lot of people um uap's policy on the fuel excise is to freeze it permanently at what it is now which is the 44.2 cents i believe so um you know whilst that that may may seem high and and i think that it is high i think it's something that we should still be considering down the track we could do a bit more with that or remove it altogether yeah um, I'm, I'm, that's, i think that's removing it all together yeah. would be much better um at the moment um the plan is to permanently freeze it so at least that gives people a little bit of a um, certainty that things shouldn't be changing in that or won't be changing in that aspect because what's going to happen if we've got six months of hard fuel exercises are we going to come off that six months and then they're going to put it up to try and make up for the six months yes lost? we've got yes they the are. Commitment? <laughs> yeah exactly we can't trust these people so at least if we say we're permanently freezing it mm. then that's not going to change i'd love to see it scrapped altogether but you know we, we can see how we go um if we form government which is obviously our plan Um, It's interesting that we're catching up today because our economic policies for United Australia Party will be released today. And I think that's going to be a major, major tipping point when people hear what our practical plan is Mm -hmm. to repay this $1.4 trillion worth of debt in in a very reasonable time frame. And, And our plan for it isn't going to be coming out of the hip pockets of Australians. We're not going to increase taxes. Whereas, you know, Albanese came out the other day, I think it was on with Carl Stefanovic, they wouldn't, he wouldn't commit to um, yeah, not raising so. taxes, yeah. wouldn't commit. So how's that going to work? Whereas for us, 
it won't be coming out of Aussie's pockets. And I think when they're here, who's going to be paying our debt back, they'll be pretty happy. So hopefully so you people can't will... tell me. No, I can't. Well, when's this going to go? When's this going to go out? <laughs> um, let me think. What's today? <laughs> if it comes out after announcements. Um, when was the announcement? Yeah, it's this afternoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I can I can put this out until tomorrow. Yeah, okay, great. Well, um, the plan is that we obviously um, here in Australia, we are big exporters of iron ore. Mm-hmm. We was the, the main... China. Country. Yes, yes. They need our iron ore. We provide um, 80% of it to Asian manufacturing. 80% of our iron ore is, it goes to them. Or, sorry, um, the... 80% of the iron ore that they need comes from Australia. Mm-hmm. That's where they need to get it from. So we're going to put a 15% tax on that. So they'll be the ones paying back our $1.4 trillion worth of debt. And we can we can achieve that over 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, so it sounds good. Is there anywhere else China could turn to, though? To look for their iron ore. There are, there are, they do get the, obviously there's a 20% that they have to make up from there, but can they meet the demands? Yeah, so that's I don't know. Question, I yeah. don't think, I don't believe that they can from what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we're going to really hold a lot of power there. And it's not just China, it's Asian, you know, a, a lot of those countries, they all get their iron ore from us. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe, I, I don't believe we're going to take a massive hit in that, in mm-hmm. that regard from what I understand. So yeah. I think that's going to be a really good policy. Um, the other one that we'll be introducing is under the constitution, the federal government has the power to uh, to freeze interest rates. So right. we'll be capping interest rates. They will not go over 3% for home loans. So I think that's a big one as well because we've already seen um, if people were fixing their interest rates um, sort of towards the end of last year, we've already seen them go up dramatically compared to now. I think you can look at CBA towards the end of last year, they were, you know, two point something. Um, and we're looking at 4% now on a fixed rate loan. And there's going to be a lot of people coming off their fixed rate terms, you know, they often do mm-hmm. them for two, three, five years. They come off those fixed rate terms, they've been paying the same amount for, you know, however many years they fixed for, and then they come off at, at a much higher rate. You know, what could we be at? Even if you you were fixed and you're paying 2% and you go up to 4%, that's massive. It is. That is a massive amount. So this is one thing that um, my American friends, um, you know, working on oil and gas, I sort of meet these people um, and... I have talked about you know different aspects of financial system how it cha- how it's different between America and here, and one thing that they can do is or will most do is when they buy a house, what the interest rate is at, that's the interest rate for the term of the loan. I'm talking thirty mm-hmm. years, so they have an interest rate of pick a number six percent. Yeah, um, their interest rate on that money that they borrow for that house is six percent for 30 years yeah um they're not locked into it so they can exactly the same as us if they find a better offer somewhere else or the interest rate goes down and they want to stay with the uh, same financial institute they can they can stay and they can reapply and they can get a new loan for the remainder of the house at a lower interest rate and and yeah it just the, the whole interest rate, the whole, sorry, the whole term of the loan is at the interest rate that they borrowed at. And yeah. I've always wondered, ever since I found that out, which was a fair while ago now, but why isn't Australia like that? It just mm-hmm. seems like 
there's there's is there tax involved in it that they that the government is is missing out on or is it is it greed from banks or what's going on there i've always i've always wondered and 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 i, I don't I don't subscribe to the greed from banks because if it was that case, then America would do it as well. Yeah. There's no laws making American banks do that. It's just how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. Which, well, that's which is interesting. Strange. Yeah. That is interesting. When, I mean, I'm not, I've, you know, I've owned a home since I, I was 22 when I bought my first property and I, I was oh, lucky because I worked in, <laughs> you know, I worked in real estate when I was, I was 17. I started oh, in yeah. real estate and I saw, you know, how well people were doing in the property market. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, a great place to be. And, and I thought, oh, that sort of inspired me, I guess, to work towards that. And I was really lucky that um, my parents and my older brother and I went in and we bought an investment property together when I think I've, I think I was 18 and we had it in my dad's name for tax purposes, but my brother and I paid into it every week and we, we chipped in to cover the costs of that. And then when I was 22, it was sort of time for me to look at buying my own place. I was really lucky that mum and dad bought me out. So had, had I not had that, you know, that I don't know where I would have been, where I would have ended up. And trying to break into the home loan market now is just so hard to try and save the deposit that's required. And houses are so expensive. So I was just really lucky I got that start then. And I, you know, um, I sacrificed a lot, you know, being at that age. There was a lot of things that I missed out on that other people my age were doing. I don't regret it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was, I was really lucky that I was able to do that. And I actually only just sold that property at the start of last year. I, I kept it as an investment Congratulations. for a while. Thank you very much. I think I wish I hung on to it for a little bit longer, mm-hmm. but it was the right move at the time because I could see the writing on the wall where things were heading mm-hmm. last year in terms of, I mean, everyone knows what's happened with the vaccine mandates and and whatnot. And as someone who's a healthcare worker, um, I actually worked in health for Queensland Health for the last six years. I could see the writing on the wall there back in 2020 where we where things were going, even though we were told we were crazy for saying there's going to be a vaccination, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's going to be mandatory, you won't be able to work, you won't be able to shop, you won't be able to go anywhere, you won't be able to travel without it. You know, we were all told we were crazy and, and look what's happened. Even when they started the vac- you know, started the the rush to produce the vaccination and we said it's going to be mandatory. Uh, I had I lost a couple of friends over the over that whole situation. I said it, you know, mandatory. It's going to be mandatory, and then I was told, oh, it'll just mandatory to them meant it'll be available. Yeah, recommended and made available to as many people as possible. But yeah, so because that's wanted, what they were. That's what they yeah, were saying. But right, we knew though. that it was a lie because yeah, yeah. the goalposts always move with government. So, yes, yes, okay. yeah. So it was why I sold my um, property at the time because I could see that um, things might be changing for me dramatically in the future. Yeah, right. So you were laid off? You were- yeah, so I've actually um, still been employed by Queensland Health. I actually just had to resign. My last official day with them was on Monday because you can't hold um, a position, a public office position um, with government to run in a federal election. So I uh-huh. had to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I was still... Um, uh, we on were, the books? Yeah, still on the books. So we've had obviously a bit of a, a battle, myself and thousands of other healthcare workers across um, health and Queensland Health um, had a battle um, happening with, in relation to the vaccine mandates. So unfortunately, it was a difficult decision for me. I had to take myself um, out of that fight and mm-hmm. I've sort of stepped into a new one, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got into health because I had my own health experiences where I felt like I wasn't treated fairly and I, and I um, 
didn't feel heard. I went to so many medical professionals when I was having health issues and, and couldn't get answers and was just, you know, told to take this pill or that pill. And that's just how you are. There was never, I just didn't feel like there was any sort of support there. And, and instead of getting better, I just got worse. So for me, I wanted to get into health because I've always wanted to be work in areas where I can help people. And mm-hmm. I felt like with that job, I, I was really able to do that. And where I ended up in my career with Queensland Health, I felt like I was really in a position where I was making a difference for a lot of people. We were able to address a lot of issues for people. Um, they just get so lost in the system. And, and so it was really rewarding for me. It was a difficult decision to make. And um, yeah, it was a lot of, spent a lot of time grieving, grieving, um, having to step away from that. But yeah, here right. I am now. That's unfortunate. Where- oh, someone at the door. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Back to it. That's all right. Guy from Kent Tech. <laughs> um, anyway, what were we saying? What were we saying? I have no idea. I can't remember what we were up to. Um, no, that's completely lost it. Moved on. Uh, well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think, oh, well, I think we're talking about my career in health. And oh, how yeah. that's come how, to an end now. How long were yep. you there for? How long? How... Uh, six years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so pretty decent amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I thought that that would be, you know, I'd be working in that area for a long time. I definitely had planned to, okay. plan to stick around. So one of the things that often comes up with healthcare workers is that vaccines were mandatory for them anyway. Um, and why would this one be any different? Well, and I know, and and yes, it's it's true for for a lot of healthcare workers. I mean, from for myself in the area that I worked in, it wasn't um, the other ones weren't mandatory when I started. It it wasn't a thing, um, and yeah, that's true that they are required to show proof of vaccination for a number of other um, diseases and illnesses. Those vaccinations have been around for a very long time as well. So we've got long term safety data on those on those other vaccinations whereas this is very new the mrna technology is very new a lot of people weren't comfortable with it they weren't comfortable with the way the trials were run and i just think that 100 should be uh, a choice for people considering mm. this is so new and we don't know the long-term side effects and the sad thing is is that a lot of these healthcare workers who have stepped away have actually seen the people coming in with the side effects so um, for that to not be a choice is, is I, I think, really concerning that we've gone so far in society that we've, you know, we've locked people out um, not of just, society for, not, for making a personal choice that about what a, a, medical, um, a medical procedure should be their right. Yes, I think that all of them um, should be voluntary. I agree, uh, 100%. But it's not just that we've locked people out that didn't want to get it. Um, I mean, anyone that's on uh, Senator Rennick's mm-hmm. Facebook page, he often gets stories from hospitals and individuals about their vaccine injuries. And they are, for lack of better words, they're disproven. They're swept under the rug. They're called. Con- the people in the hospitals that are suffering from these conditions from you know the injuries that have been caused from the from the vaccines 
they're they're called conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. while they're laying there and a doctor's treating them for a vaccine injury they're called conspiracy theorists that is fucking disgusting it sorry is. for swearing no but. <laughs> it is disgusting and they're all being told that it's in their head mm, and there's mm. so many stories and you can even go on to jab um injuries australia they've got um they've got actually got pages all across the world um on instagram where people are sharing their mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and the amount of people who've told it's just a psychological thing or it's all in your it's head anxiety. or it's anxiety and then they finally get a doctor to listen and they end up being diagnosed with pericarditis mm. or myocarditis um it's it's so awful all these people who've been been fine until their vaccination have had no health concerns and then all of a sudden they've got all of these issues that are unexplainable and they're just getting no help. They're mm-hmm. just, and, and that's, I guess that's why I got into health as well, because I had experiences that were really similar to that. Kept getting told, you know, that issues that I had were mental health related when they weren't. The fact that I kept getting told they were mental health related did end up causing me a lot of uh, mental health issues in the end. Um, and it was when I started going down a bit of a, a different path that I realized that, you know, doctors and, you know, a, a majority are very well-meaning. They, you know, the, the way that they, they learn, they, they, you know, I, I just think there's some critical thinking that is missing in the industry now. And it's, you know, it's a lot of masking symptoms, not treating the root cause. Absolutely. Of the issues. So I, I, I'm right there with you. I think it's uh, treat the symptom mm. and, you know, forget the cause. Um, we had a we had a, an issue um, with my eldest son. He he developed a, an infection, ear infection, got really bad, and uh, we kept going back to the doctors, and they kept saying, you know, he's got an ear infection. Take this antibiotic, and you know, I think it was a time. It, it felt like a time schedule thing. You know, yeah. they, they didn't really put the time in, and then when they did, we got a helicopter flight to <laughs> Brisbane. Oh. Yeah. for emergency surgery on him so you know it, it, it got real bad real quick yeah. um and the 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 surgeons and the and the um the doctors down in brisbane were saying you know this should have been picked up it, it's it did start off as a as a uh an ear infection like what happened yeah. and we'd tell our story and they were blown away that, yeah. that that could that that could happen and it wasn't just like we went to our private doctor or anything we did that as well mm-hmm. but we were up at the um at the public hospital a couple of times you know yeah. and, and and told the same thing just take these antibiotics and then they didn't work and then just take these antibiotics and they didn't work and then oh just up the dose and then they didn't work and you know that it was like i said it felt like a uh a scheduling issue yeah um if they took the time um, and obviously I, I realize that there's funding involved in that, but how much money did it cost for Jack to go yeah. through um, his issue than, you know, taking an extra 15 minutes to start with and getting the right antibiotics exactly. in the beginning? Just taking the time and the amount of money that's been spent or the appointments lost for other yeah. people, yes. um, yeah. you know, just taking the time. And I think that's, um, that's yeah, as I said, one of the reasons why I got into health because I had so many experiences like that and I hear so many experiences like that and it's just heartbreaking, all these people that, you know, have to go to so many different doctors and, and often end up going to alternative measures because they or alternative or more holistic health options um for me it was going to see a naturopath and then mm. i sort of went down that path and naturopathy kinesiology chiropractor honestly it changed my life 
completely changed my life and my health. I've never been healthier. And, you know, it's when I sort of started listening to the advice from one side and listen to the mm-hmm. advice from mm-hmm. another. And it's just common sense with that as well. Just you eat well, you look after yourself, the food pyramid, don't get me started on that. <laughs> so, Pretty much tip it upside down and yeah. you'll probably live a much healthier life. Stop eating things that are made for convenience. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I've got a, still got a long way to go on my health journey and I can't say that I don't do those, those things as well. And, and, um, you know, my diet can definitely be cleaned up, but I think, yeah, I, you know, you really notice a difference. Yeah, for sure. Take the time. And that's another thing that when you bring up, you know, what are you eating should be the first question that a doctor asks you for any, for almost any condition that you present to a doctor for, it should be, what are you eating? Um, You know, there's, and you get called all, all manner of things for bringing that up as well yeah. on, on all the socials and, and uh, in, in person as well, I have been, you know, f- food should be the root, the root. Yeah. What am I trying to say? It should be the first thing that's looked at. 100%. Cause there is scientific studies. There's all, there's, you know, to do with depression and, and, mm-hmm. and arthritis and holy loud. <laughs> um. And yeah, and, and numerous other health issues that yeah. people have that have been directly linked back to either chemicals and sugar-free drinks mm-hmm. <laughs> or, 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 you know, the, the consumption of sugar that's yep. been directly linked to diabetes, which is a massive issue in Australia. Yep. Um, obesity, which is a massive issue in Australia. Yep. Particularly in this area, we've got some very high obesity rates yes. in our town. Yes. And but, you're not allowed to talk about that no, anymore either. No, no, you can't. Well, you're not meant to. Not meant to, apparently. <laughs> I think the really awful thing, though, is that so many doctors can't talk about those mm. sorts of things. Um, or, you know, if, if they start talking about diet and nutrition and you're not trained in that, mm. you can't talk about it. If you're and not they're not. That is true, though. But it's ridiculous because it it's is. common sense. I it don't know is. how many people are aware of Dr. Gary Fetke. I'm sure he was based in Tasmania. Orthopedic surgeon. He, was, he got sick of having to amputate the limbs of diabetic patients. Mm-hmm. So he could see there was benefit in a high fat low carb diet and obviously cutting out sugar for diabetic patients and he had all these patients that he was working with who were following this 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 you know change in lifestyle and diet and it resulted in him not having to remove their limbs but he was just raked over the coals um he had his license suspended he he had multiple court cases apra who i'm sure a lot of people mm-hmm. become familiar with now just absolutely just destroyed his career for 5 years even though there was all of this evidence coming out about the benefits of a high fat low carb diet for diabetic patients um and he fought and fought and fought and in the end he eventually won um, I'm sure he didn't get an apology for them, but no. now it's very commonly known that 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 is very benefit beneficial for people with diabetes. And he saved all these patients' limbs, and they were getting up and saying, like, thank God for him because, you know, I could have lost my leg or had my feet amputated or all of that. So it's just so disgusting that um, that they have this governing body mm. that can dictate what they can say when these people are trying to do the best thing for their patients. And, and that's the problem that I have at the moment because I, obviously from working in health, I have contact with a lot of healthcare workers and I'm talking allied health professionals, doctors, nurses. I'm still talking to people on the front line who are seeing what they're seeing and they don't agree with what how things have been handled for the last two years. But 
it's absolute career suicide for them to speak out. So a lot of them are trying to help behind the scenes. And I think if people knew who were behind the names of the doctors who were behind the COVID medical network, they would really be listening and paying attention to what this group has to say because, um, yeah, there is a lot of other doctors and scientists and professionals out there who have a lot more to say about what's been going on and they're just being silenced. Yeah, so I, I definitely don't know. Um, and I've talked to a few people that should, and they don't know uh, ever of government stepping in front of a doctor to prescribe anything to anyone. It's never happened before with anything. Um, it did with COVID, obviously, as yeah. most people know, hydroxychloroquine and, uh, and ivermectin was the was it they they said that you prescribe that and people and doctors lost licenses yeah massive fines yeah had their doctor surgeries raided and it's never happened before no. with anything ever where how did they get this power because they're not a technically speaking they're not exactly a government agency are they no they're so they're the regulating body for medical professionals so they're meant to be independent type yeah are they independent no definitely not <laughs> definitely not scott morrison's brother heads up after yeah. us, so yeah. come on yeah you know yeah no i don't think they're independent mm. they're just technically speaking they were meant they're meant to be um they're definitely not no, and they've, you know, sent what we perceive to be threatening letters to doctors and nurses or anyone registered under APRA, which includes chiropractors now, mm-hmm. um, banning them from, you know, sharing their opinions on on what should be informed consent oh, yeah. for patients. So are they people aren't getting true informed consent, they're not being told about the issues ahead of this medical um, procedure being administered. People should have informed consent. People... People are aware of these alternative measures and to have them or, or options, have them completely taken away. Uh, you know, if you've been going to your doctor for 20 years, they know your history. So why is there not informed consent, you know, where they can prescribe one of these alternate treatment measures if they if they agree that perhaps maybe the vaccination isn't the best the best option for that individual? You know, or perhaps that person's had the um, vaccination, but why can we not have an informed discussion with our patients say these are the risks and the benefits of this medication these are what the studies show why can it then not be up to the patient and the doctor to to have that and speaking make that of, decision speaking of crazy though the one of the things that's come out and it's been popularized is um you know I've had two vaccinations and I've had the booster and I caught COVID, but I'm glad that I did have the vaccination because it would have been, been so much worse. And it's like that that is the the least the least scientific thing I've ever heard. And on top of that, we were sold that if you get vaccinated, you won't catch yes. COVID. People keep saying that that wasn't true. They never said that. They did. I've ha- got so many videos when yeah, it first came out. I was about out. to say, I've the, got a compilation yes, of them. The virus will die in a vaccinated mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. And it was and just a lie. It. Yeah. You can't spread it. And it's, so, it's just blatant, mis- that's blatant misinformation. So I don't know why we get labelled misinformationists when no. they were the misinformationists from the start. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you know, the... With the, with the compilation, it's like, you know, it's everyone from Anthony Fauci, the president, you know, Biden. I think 
Who else said it? Oh, God, everyone's at one All stage or another. All of news agencies were reporting that as well all across the states. Even and here, it, and we it were so here, here as well. well. Yep, I'm sure that, that came, those words came out of Greg Hunt's mouth mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the virus will die in a vaccinated person. I'm, yep. I'm sure. He also said all. we were in the world's largest clinical trial, but people choose to forget that. Yeah, that's another thing. Mm. Like, that is, that is actually what it is. Yeah, um, that yeah, came out it, of his mouth. Yeah, but... Whether you like it or not, whether you're for the vaccine, whether you're you know completely against it, that is what it is. Yeah, it is. It is a, the clinical, the third stage, phase clinical three trial. clinical th- trial. And that's for me. You know, if 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 people are given true informed consent and they can weigh up the risks and the benefits of either having the vaccination or not, and they're fully aware of the risks of them to ha- contracting COVID, then that's fine. If they choose to have that, they think the vaccination is a good health decision for them, wonderful. If they make the choice that it's not a good health decision for them, then that should be their choice. There is, you know, and we're kind of at this point now where they're putting in all of these restrictions on people that who are unvaccinated, that they are letting return to workforces, where it's, you know, they have to have a rat test three times a week, they have to wear full PPE, they have to use separate tea rooms to other people and separate entrances and exits. If we're really about mitigating the risk here and reducing the spread of the virus, then those sorts of um, those sorts of things should be implemented, or rat testing should be implemented for everyone, regardless mm. of your vaccination. Especially status. now, because yeah, we know that everyone it. catches, yep. everyone suffers, everyone can, you know, and it's got to do with your your personal well being. Yeah. You know, do you exercise? What sort of sunlight do you get? Yes. What sort of food do you eat? And they're basics, yeah, the basics. really basic stuff. And Is instead, it- we locked people in their homes, stopped them from going to gyms. You know, t- told them not to socialize outside. They in Victoria, they closed mm. children's playgrounds. In Queensland, they even stopped people from going to skate parks mm-hmm. and put sand on it. I was about to say yeah. here, here just down the road, they they closed the skate park for I'm not sure how long it was, but look. I would be willing to forgive because that was very early on. Yeah, yeah. And I would be, no one knew what it was. Yeah. We had, you know, information coming out of China and 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 that's what they were largely, that's what they were basing everything on. Yeah. And at that stage, it had a 15% kill rate or something crazy like that. And, and, and people, including myself, were legitimately concerned. And then it got to Italy and it looked bad for a bit. And then it didn't look bad, but we pretended it did. And then a year later, it was definitely, this is not as hyped up as people have been telling us it is, but we still pretended it was. And two years later, just the other day, um, we have scrapped the mandatory um, vaccination centre pubs and clubs in Queensland. The Premier scrapped those. So we are largely still pretending that this is going to kill a lot of people. It just, it's not. And I think we've missed a really important opportunity for some some really good health messaging here in Australia over the last two years where we could have actually been doing a lot more education on what people can do to to be a lot healthier so that they're in a much better position if they do get unwell Mm. to be able to fight it and get over it really quickly and some of these alternative health measures that are proven so there's so much scientific 
um, evidence out there to support this. Why is that not getting out there? We just had this one silver bullet and that was the only mm. option. Mm. Or stay home and, and take Panadol. I mean, is it really that bad if, if you're just being told to take Panadol, stay home and rest and go to ED if you get worse? There's so many other things people could be doing. And yeah. and I've I've had the the virus. Um, I've had the virus. Congratulations Thank to the you. first person I know. Thank you. It took me a long time to get it considering, you know, for someone who remained vaccine free, it was supposed to hunt me down. It took mm. a very, very long time for it to, to catch up with me. And, and I, I felt a bit, a little bit off. Um, you know, I was at a point where I'd been quite run down and hadn't been um, taking all my supplements as I had been and things sort of fell by the wayside. And when I say I felt unwell, it was literally about 12 hours where I had a bit of a scratchy throat bit of a slight headache sort of achy lower back I didn't have a fever or anything like that um just felt quite fatigued and my nose was blocked and honestly I was over it within 12 hours if, yeah, right. if we were in weren't in this situation I would have gone to work mm-hmm. I would have gone to work I would have just worked I wouldn't have even really known there was anything wrong mm-hmm. I did a rat uh, um, you know I'm still pretty skeptical about how accurate the the testing is because you know people are using rats and they'll test test Coke. negative and positive yeah <laughs> testing oranges and citrus and they turn positive or they'll test themselves and it'll say negative and they can do it the next day and it's positive or do them on the same day and get two different answers so um for me I did it out of curiosity and it went positive straight away so I, I stayed home I did the right thing I mean I was I was not even symptomatic within 24 hours. So mm-hmm. um, the seven days isolation, I think is a killer for most people because the majority of the people I've spoken to, they've had it now, are, you know, fine within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it was the mildest virus I've ever, ever encountered. I've definitely had worse flus. I've had worse hangovers in the past that mm-hmm. have lasted longer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you've said that, I retract my previous statement. My dad and family up at, uh, but Childers has had it. Yep. Forgot about them. <laughs> oh, whoops. Um, anyways, um, my dad, definitely a picture of her. He's not. <laughs> um, he he caught it and he said a similar thing. He he said he was crook for three days, felt like hangover that just wouldn't go away. Yep. Um, he's definitely he said he's definitely been sicker with a lot of different other things. Yeah. Um, and my sister, she caught it and she reckons she didn't feel anything. She yep. just apparently she just had it asymptomatic, if that's what you want to call it. Um, and yeah, I mean, my sister's boyfriend didn't get it and they didn't isolate from each other yep. at all. Um, and it didn't spread through the whole family. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. It's not as yeah, it doesn't seem to be as contagious as we're led to believe because I've got so many people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, a lot are who are unvaccinated, who've been around people who've been positive mm-hmm. and they haven't caught it. They've shared drinks and then found out, you know, the person was positive the next day, but haven't caught it. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, it doesn't seem to want to infect a large number of people, which I find really interesting. And it's not taking away from the fact that some people have been really unwell from it. We know that. I oh, think, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, but I mean, people also get really unwell every year from the flu. And, and a multitude of other things. A multitude of other things. And I think it does depend on, on like we said, your genetic makeup or, or your Personal health at the time. Yeah. But, and, and that can change from week to week. If you're really highly stressed, you're yeah. obviously going to be a lot more susceptible to... Yeah 
coming down with something yeah. or if you're not looking after yourself or you're not sleeping well. Um, but for me, it, yeah, it was over very quickly. And I actually didn't even really believe I'm like, did I even have it? Was that test? Cause I, you know, I, I didn't have a PCR test and I've never had one and I didn't see the need. I had my rad. I did my, did my seven days, stayed at home and, you know, um, that was, that was what we were meant to be doing. Um, uh, I don't think that was, that was, um, I don't think it's called for, but yeah, you know, obviously yeah. in a position that I'm in now, I wanted to, to, you know, work towards what we were, we were supposed to be doing. And it was a good opportunity for me to rest. Cause that was just when I'd come back from, um, from Canberra as well. So it'd been pretty full on. I had a lot of work to do from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually had an antibody test to see like, was that actually le- legit? Did I really have it? And yeah, it showed up that I'd been exposed and had it. So right. yeah, yeah I'm, well, done. I'm fine. I'm glad it's finally over and done with. January, February, March, end of March, I came back from Fiji. 2020. Yep. Uh, while we were over there, uh, Fiji got their first case, uh, first two cases, sorry, they were both at the same time. A pilot and his grandmother tested positive while we were there. And we were due to fly home Saturday morning. And this was Wednesday ish lunchtime. We <laughs> found out about it. And between Wednesday and Saturday, um it was chaos it was absolute chaos uh everything shut down all the flights were gone um yeah it was mass exodus out of out of the 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 hotel the holiday home type yeah yeah that we were staying in um it went from a few hundred people there to I think we were one of two families that were left by Saturday. Wow. Uh, That's insane. Yeah. Between Wednesday and, and Saturday, we we caught, when we went to the airport, we were started freaking out a little bit. Um, so. Yeah. We went to the airport and caught the last plane from Fiji to Australia. Wow. And the third last plane leaving Fiji uh, for indefinite amount of time. No one knew. Um, the other two that were leaving, one was going to Singapore and one was going to Las Vegas. Um, not, not sure how that works, but that's where they were going. Um, and yeah, there was a, a lot of people, a lot of people in the airport, too many people for three planes. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we we're in Fiji and I could only imagine that there was a lot of places and a lot of people that suffered that same yeah. That same thing. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to those people. Obviously, I'm not in contact with them, but there was a lot of people there. It was so it was many. crazy. That's it just, was so crazy. Oh, I can't even imagine how stressful that would have been. Yeah. There's just been so many people though that have been in situations like that. We had so how many Aussies did we have locked out of, mm. weren't able to return to their country? They had no money, no way to get back. Whatever flights were available were just ridiculously expensive. And and then we even had that that um, where we had people locked out here when they closed the borders all these people that were having to sleep in cars in new south wales they wouldn't let them into queensland or people that you know lived we had there was instances where people had a had a business in one state and were and mm. um, lived in another and they weren't able to access you know either or people you're having to pay rent in one state and couldn't access their home in another or mm-hmm. it was so many people that missed you know really important 
family events. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people weren't able to attend funerals to go and say goodbye to loved ones. There was people that missed out on weddings and, you know, everything in between. It was just heartbreaking. There was a, a couple of local families here that got severely impacted by the border closures, just trying to get home. And then just the red tape and bureaucracy to try and actually, you know, get get the information out there and come up with a reasonable um, solution to try and get these people home. It just it just didn't seem to be one. Everyone was just falling. All these people were just slipping through the cracks and just being completely forgotten about. All they want to do is come home. Mm. It's mm. just insanity or, or being forced into quarantine when they could have easily just isolated at home for whatever time was required. So that was one of my uh, biggest issues that I had with both state and federal governments, all of them. Um, the the closing of the borders. Mm. You know, we were the only country, I believe, I could be wrong with that, but we were the only country in the world that wouldn't let our citizens leave the country. You know, that that didn't happen anywhere else in the world, um, let alone them come home, which was disgraceful as yeah, well. So disgraceful. Um, and then on top of that, again, talking to American friends. Um, not being able to come back home after leaving the state, they couldn't. They couldn't wrap their head around that. And I, then it. And then it even got further than that. It went, you know, more micro than that. And you know, Sydney had that ring of steel, and and Dan Andrews put one around Melbourne for a while. If you yeah. and if you left that, or you couldn't leave that to start with, but if you somehow did, you couldn't re-enter. Yeah. And it's like, how is What's going on here? It was insane how many people didn't see that there was a problem with that. Yes. We were just, it was just like Stockholm syndrome here. Uh-huh. And it was uh-huh. just the rest of the world was was and is still looking at Australia in horror, just thinking how how can how can they be doing that to their own citizens? It yeah. was just insanity. Yeah. And there's still it surprises me how many people still think that that, that was okay. Yeah. I yes. just, it just yes. blows my mind and we just can't ever allow that to happen ever again. So how, okay, you win. Um, well, there definitely won't be any <laughs> lockdowns happening under us because yep. that's just completely wrong. There no more border closures. So how would you go about rolling that sort of emergent, those emergency powers? Is there a possibility of rolling them back or canceling them, throwing them in the bin? Yep, throwing them in the bin. Federally, there's a lot of power to, um, yeah, well, federally, we have the power to to overrule um, under the Constitution, federal and state laws, the federal Trump set. They've been getting away with a lot of things, saying it's under the, the guise of a public mm-hmm. health emergency, but there are a number of, of other, other ways that we can combat combat that and particularly around the the mandates as well there'd be no um domestic vaccine passports craig kelly has a bill ready to go he tabled it last year in parliament twice and obviously didn't get the support that it needed um but federally they can 100 percent step in to put an end so why, to these powers why do you think oh scomo didn't i yeah that's the million dollar question isn't it because he said multiple no times mandatory vaccinations exactly. in this country so why the state's been able to get away with this and even then they can there's other things they could have done where it could have limited um their ac- uh, access to the australian immunization register mm-hmm. registry mm-hmm. and stop that from being used to um to be able to hold people's jobs to ransom basically by 
having to provide a vaccination mm-hmm. status. And I think even Jared Rennick has said, we'll make the states pay for their own vaccinations then, if, you know, instead of providing them federally. Um, but there's certainly the bill that Craig Kelly has ready to go. We'll, we'll put an end to that. And and if there's, if there's anyone wanting to challenge that, I think they'll find themselves in the um, court system pretty quickly as well. So with Jared Rennick saying, you know, the state should pay for their own vaccinations if that's the route they wanted to, the problem that I would have with that isn't so much that, yes, what he's saying is true. It's more when you're talking about Daniel Andrews and people like Anastasia Palaget, they would say, okay. Yeah, exactly. And then that's more money coming out of Queenslanders' pockets or that's less money we can invest into infrastructure and rural. So I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with agree with that sentiment because I agree I think it's going to really hurt the states in the end if that's the route that they take but mm-hmm. you know it was another option I guess yeah for sure for sure and, and up. like I said I don't disagree with what yeah. he's saying it's just what the, the, the type realistically of people, yeah yeah the type of people that he's talking about would just say yes okay that's yeah. fine where's my rubber stamp yeah it's not my money exactly because that's the way that it seems that yeah, the premiers in 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 particular, and after the budget, I'd have to include the federal government. Um, sort of look at tax money. It's like it's not mine. I don't care. It's just where's my rubber stamp? Exactly. Let's get this spent. Exactly. Just splashing cash like yes. nobody's yes. business. I mean, even if you look at how much it costs someone just to have a PCR test, mm-hmm. and how many of them have been negative versus mm-hmm. positive, like that is just insanity. The money spent on those PCR tests could have easily, you know, could have built the new Toowoomba hospital that we desperately easily. need. And for some reason, the state government, we were waiting uh, since early last year from the for them to announce the funding. Every It went through all of the processes that it had to go through, that new hospital, went through all of the stages, the plans are done, it's ready to go, went through all of the government committees. And for some reason, the state government still hadn't announced the funding. So what's happened to that money? We need to welcome. Yeah, exactly. Is that what happened to it? <laughs> well, what it seems happens? that way. Where is the money? Where is our new hospital? Why is there still no commitment to yeah, us so, getting that? And it's going to take eight to 10 years to build the thing. Yes. And we've still got no plans to start it. Yes. So this this detention camp that's mm-hmm. out at Well Camp, um, that's privately owned and we're just, and we taxpayers, <laughs> taxpayers just renting it back. Yes, exactly. Um, they built that in a record amount of time. Um, why could, and now I've been up to the public hospital uh, since I've got three kids, right? So yeah. I'm going up there. Yeah, things happen. <laughs> in two years, I'm definitely going up there. So when I rocked up there, um, the COVID ward was outside in the parking lot it's a tent oh, the big tent yes yep. and i was asking about what, what is that and it's like that's the covid ward that's it it costs the- a lot of money to set up that infrastructure too because it wasn't just at toowoomba hospital they had them oh, at yeah. multiple rural hospitals too yeah, the testing sure. sites or the isolation area toowoomba hospital did actually have a dedicated um covid ward um, and they had they, they made a lot of plans for how they would actually treat COVID patients, but that was set aside separately, obviously, um, so that they could keep those isolation protocols mm-hmm. in place. So they're but taking, it was barely used. Yeah, and, and on top of that, let's let's say they they done. Let's just pretend they done the right thing and they made all these plans for COVID getting out of control and all the rest of it. And yeah, take that however you want to. They still built Well Camp. Yeah. They could have made Well turned Well Camp into another, maybe not a wing, but definitely some sort of clinic. 
They could have had a testing center there with pit, with people, with isolation beds and all the rest of it. And when COVID is finally at the point where we are now, they could have gone, oh, we didn't need that. Maybe we can still use it for cancer patients that haven't gone away. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no reason that we should, that we needed this thing out at Well Camp when we could have built it in the car park at the hospital, which they did anyway with a temporary fence and taken a wing away from the hospital from an already struggling and undersized hospital. When they could have built this thing out at Well Camp, they could have moved it into the, into into town and built it in there and had a bigger, better hospital that. Toowoomba desperately needs anyway. And I think that's a lot of the problem too, is that Toowoomba Hospital's been going on to Code Yellow quite a bit. And this was even pre-COVID. And what yeah, Code Yellow yeah. means is that the hospital is literally at capacity. ED is full. We've got QAS staff waiting with patients on stretchers, waiting for a bed to free up in ED. ED are waiting for beds to free up in the in the wider hospital or for people to be transferred to rural facilities or discharged mm-hmm, home. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of them shouldn't be getting discharged home either. They probably still need some care. But you know, what are you going to do when you've got emergencies piling up and you, we can't have QAS staff standing this, around all day in corridors of ED, but they're not allowed to offload them off a stretcher until they have a bed. So that is a problem and, and it's only gotten worse. And so, like you said, it yeah. was, this is this is pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, um, it was the, bad. The, the tent and whatnot, yeah, that was what they done. But pre-COVID, um, the waiting times in the emergency department were crazy. Yeah. Um, and- you, you know, the whole the whole public health system. I know. You know, Anastasia blames the federal government. The federal yeah. and the federal government says it's not our issue because the state government handles fe- uh, healthcare. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's where all the ones in them that get that miss out. Yeah, 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 because they can't get it together. Yeah, they have their fight, and we cover all the healthcare for both of those parties. Yeah, and and the and the general person that you know may not be able to afford health insurance or whatever the case may be, relying on the public health system. You know they. Like you said, they're the ones that miss out. Yeah, we're the ones missing out because the two governments can't work together. And mm. I think that's one of the things I found really frustrating, I guess, just from working in government is even just intergovernment departments. Just trying to get anything done is mm. absolute joke. You know, the paperwork or the committees have to meet to get things done. And I was lucky that my boss at the time was a lot more about action and anything to do with patient safety is what that was that trumped it and we would deal with the rest later. Um, he was always making calls based on what was safest for patients mm-hmm. and we would deal with the rest after. And you I'm know, glad all of he- the bureaucracy and the red tape and the procedures and the rubbish that is what gets in the way of actual action being taken. And I guess for someone like myself as well, I, I like to see action happening quickly. I think we've just got too many levels of red tape to get through, even just local, go- all levels of government. It's absolutely ridiculous and it feels like it's just people justifying their existence or justifying their position to make things more complicated to get things done mm-hmm. and I think yeah in in terms of health I found that pretty frustrating and the other issue is that the emergency department at Toowoomba Hospital was actually expanded 2018-2019 it's already not big enough but the hospital site there because there's a number of buildings that can't be touched um 
as well because of their historical purposes. And mm-hmm. um, so we can't use those, the heritage listed buildings. So it's really difficult. There's not a lot of places to expand on the campus. The money, because it's such old infrastructure, they still use paper charts there because mm-hmm. the infrastructure at the hospital just wasn't there to be able to implement electronic medical records. Mm-hmm. In order to expand the ED now, they're actually going to have to build into the car park where the ambulances come in. Mm-hmm. So it's decreasing the size of the ambulance space because they've got nowhere else to go. We're, we're bursting at the seams. Our town is bursting at the seams with people coming here. You know, it's 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 worrying. And, and we don't have the staff, which is a problem too, to be able to keep up with the demand. A, because a lot of them were redeployed for, um, for anything to do with COVID in the vaccination clinics and the testing clinics. And then we, we had to pull staff to help with the management of COVID. So for all of these project teams as well, then they go and open WellCamp. You know, where are we getting staff from for that? They're probably paying them a, a lot better. So and it's going to be a much easier job than working on a ward. It's, you know, it's not easy for nurses to care for people in wards all day. And then on top of that, you've got isolations if they if you yeah, get if sick. sick. Even yeah. if they're not even sick, you know, they're yes. sick for two yeah. days. And-, and and it's only been recently that um, they've cancelled the close contact type situation you know yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't count anymore if you're a close contact um within and, 12 weeks i think as well if you yeah 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 change that now yeah so you know these changes have only just come in and but they've been in place for two years and yeah you know the, all of this takes an effect yeah all of it and, and the nurses are burnt out you know they're doing yeah. 12 hour shifts they're being asked to do overtime and they were burnt out before they too. 100% where they don't get paid enough they 100% don't aged care staff are the same then they lost and that's the thing is people say oh it mandates it was only such a small number of people affected well I think if people really understood the numbers of staff that we lost here they would realize that you know that these mandates actually can mean um, their loved one dying because there's not an, uh, a QAS officer available to respond in time Mm. or there's not a bed available or they don't have the nurse to patient ratios they can keep up with so they can't open as many beds in the hospitals because they don't have the staff particularly now like we said before you know um, vaccinated people can catch it and carry it and they get sick and you know everything from a mild flu-like symptoms all the way through to death we've seen this it's it's a thing now it's a it's a verifiable fact yeah but there's still mandates for it and like I, uh, I asked you the question before about having the mandates for healthcare workers and, you know, you could make the argument if the vaccine done what vaccines were meant to do, you could make that argument. Exactly. But, it, but now, today, the, the mandate's still there and... I don't that, that that argument just doesn't hold water. And why are we not talking more about natural immunity when so many people have actually got, been infected? <laughs> that was the first time I was ever called a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> what is natural immunity? It used to be a thing. <laughs> Even Fauci came out and said that a few years about yeah, the flu. If you yeah. had the flu, you don't need the vaccine because yeah. you've got natural immunity and that is yeah, that's great. Yeah. Natural immunity is amazing. So I think if we're wanting to mitigate the risk in a healthcare setting, then why are we not regularly testing all healthcare workers regardless of their vaccination? Well, status? if it was as that's bad that's what as, would make sense. If it was bad as we were led to believe, lockdowns wouldn't have been a thing because we would have been doing it ourselves. Yeah. Um, people would be doing the tests and there'd be, you know, it's not like the technology wasn't accessible. People would be testing themselves because they'd be worried about having this thing if it was bad as we were made out, to, uh, we were told it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't ever believe that you know someone else should be telling another person what they can and can't do when they can and can't do it and who they can and can't do it with. Yep, who you can see at what times. Yeah, it's we used to call that an abusive relationship. Exactly. We're in an abusive relationship with our government. Yes. But it's scary to me how many people sort of I guess don't see that or don't see an issue with it. And when people say, Oh, I wasn't affected by the mandates and I'm happy for them to be in place, they just don't realize how many healthcare staff or you know, from every industry that we've lost, it does have an impact. We lost 11 midwives just in the public health system Mm. that is significant when Mm -hmm. they already were struggling to fill their roster and what an important role that is to have those skilled people sitting at home is just that's just disgusting and and that's not even counting the ones that we've lost privately so Mm -hmm. I think that's a massive loss and I there's thousands of healthcare workers including nurses it does have an impact especially when so many of them are being redeployed to the COVID responses so that means that elderly people aren't getting the care that they need and deserve in aged care and no and just the way that they've been treated through this is just I understand protecting the vulnerable because we know that this disease is is definitely affecting the elderly the worst and the most you can look at the statistics Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and that's you know where the highest numbers of deaths have occurred and every death is a tragedy but you know uh, for a lot of those people they would much rather have been able to spend those their final sort of years spending as much quality time with their family as possible not being isolated in their rooms and and not having enough aged care staff to come in and check on them either Mm -hmm. I think that's just really really sad Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. The way that we do treat our elderly just in terms of the aged care pension as well is another thing that I find quite upsetting. Um, they're living beho- below the poverty line mm-hmm. and these people have worked hard all of their lives and we treat them like this at the end. It's- Again, they were, they, were, they were sold a lie. The aged yeah. age care pension was, um, you know, they paid into this government thing like yeah. we are paying into super now. Mm-hmm. Um, they paid into this government thing that promised them that they'd look after them in their retirement and that just didn't come to fruition at all. Um, I'm all for voluntary uh, voluntary superannuation. Yeah. Um, but I've also read a lot and I'm a little bit concerned about it now that we've got this thing going on in Eastern Europe there with Russia and Ukraine, you know, as soon as the government needs that money, they have full access to it, which I'm not really a fan of. <laughs> um, so, you know, I know the Liberal Democrats have, have said that, you know, they're going to make it a policy where you look after your own money and you're allowed to access it and spend it whenever you feel I'm sort of on board with that. Yeah. Um, what is... UAP have to say about well in terms of super that's actually something that'll that it was going to be one of our policies that's released today um, that everyone <laughs> will hear about so uh, so much of our super is invested overseas yes so the the plan for UAP is to return um, at least a trillion dollars of Australian super to Australia so we can invest it in infrastructure projects here in in that will actually benefit Australians mm-hmm. so we need to stop um, yeah, funding all of these overseas projects and get it back here for the people who are actually paying paying their super mm-hmm. so we can benefit from it. So I think that's going to be 
that's going to be a big one. Um, we don't have any specific policies at the moment. It's not to say that we won't about how people can access their super. I tend to agree. I think it's, um, you know, people are going to need to be able to access that money at different times in their lives. I think it's a concern if they don't have, you know, a bit of a nest egg as they get older. But what I would like to see happen is that people who are retired should be able to um, to be able to work um, and and work at you know a certain amount of hours per week without that have without that impacting their pension or, or whatever benefits they're receiving. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have an impact on that. I think we should be able to let them do that. And because I think for a lot of people, once they retire, um, they've still got a lot of energy. They've still got a lot to give, mm-hmm. and a lot of them do still want to be uh, you know want to be contributing. Um, why should they not be able to mm-hmm. be involved without getting penalised? That's yeah, my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. good. Especially if there's plenty of jobs available and and they're highly skilled people. Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed going through uh, while I was on the rigs, you know, experience, um, downturn comes, and it's a little bit different, obviously. It's not retirement, but downturn t- comes. All the experience hands go to different jobs. Yeah. Um, whereas we're talking about retirement, they retire, yeah. but yeah, they get a different job and, uh, you know, they don't come back. Yeah. And that part is very true. Like you, you lose all the experience when you're talking about retirement, why can't they move into a more you know, desk orientated, you know, teaching sort of, yeah. I don't know, 100%. positions where, where their experience would be worth, it's, it's gold. It's real gold. Yeah, I agree. And doing a bit of mentoring for people who were learning. It's, yeah, I think it's so important and, and, and giving those people a purpose. And again, time. going back to being locked down, what's the difference between being a voluntary lockdown retirement and bored? Yes. Um, compared to what a lot of people had to go through with COVID. Like uh, the, similarity, the similarities are, are definitely there. Um, I understand there are major differences, but, you know, being alone and bored is one of the worst things yeah. that a human can do to themselves. So Definitely. Hmm. humans aren't meant to, to be that way. No, I think it's sad too. Um, how many teachers we've lost with a lot of experience. Um, a lot mm-hmm. did retire, you know, when it came up to the mandates at the end of last year, there was a lot of teachers who would have hung around for a bit longer and they, you know, would have been able to obviously teach our children and also um, be able to mentor new teachers who are just starting out. But a lot of them have, you know, chose to retire early because they wanted to make a decision about what they felt was best for their health as well. So, you know, I've spoken a lot obviously about healthcare because I've spent a fair bit of time there and saw the other side, the other side of how things work, but you know, it's our children are really missing out here as well. Kids that are in tears because their teachers leaving because they didn't get vaccinated. It's so sad. I just think it shouldn't happen. It should never have happened. And I think that's obviously we've spoken a lot about the vaccine mandates and and that today. And, And obviously, you know, I think if, People haven't seen that United Australia Party stand against lockdowns and domestic vaccine passports. They've probably been living under a rock because it's been mm. pretty heavily publicised. And I think a lot of people are just thinking that's all we're, we're, all we're sort of about. So I think when when that, all these economic policies start coming out or if people actually start looking at what we stand for mm. on the website with our other policies, they'll see that we just want to stand up for the rights of Australians and put Australia first. That's that's where we lie. And, and, and you know, we're running candidates in all 151 seats 
and 150 of us are not career politicians. Obviously, Craig Kelly's been in the game for a while and he's running for his seat of Hughes. But the rest of us, everyone's just like me. We're all just everyday Australians and we don't like where our country's headed. We want to put a stop to the digital ID. I'm pretty sure you've had some conversations about that. that. We're very much against that. Um, And and for me, I think it's just been really great because... like the collaboration between us as a team, not just with other parties, but within United Australia Party has been amazing. So many of these people, you feel like you've just known them forever. If you need something, we've got a big group chat, you just jump on there and everyone's just willing to help each other because we're all fighting for the same cause here and the same with the cross-party collaborations. I just think that's amazing. I don't think people really grasp how incredible that is because whilst everyone's running their own race, there's, there's us that are banding together to really make a difference here. And like we said before, it's, you know, we just hope one of us gets in as long as it's not the majors. Mm. But you don't see them doing that. They're, well, I guess they band together in parliament, don't they? Because they, they vote do. together 90%, 90% of the time they vote the same. But I think it's just really nice to see that majority of the people who are putting their hands up in these minor parties parties are doing it for the right reasons it's not about ego or power I mean honestly I'd actually rather not be in this position I just felt like I just felt called to do it because I thought if not me then who and and I've been sticking my neck out on a lot of these issues for quite some time now and now I'm doing it in a very public way and and to be honest it's been you know I've had a few experiences majority of people have been um very open and even if they don't necessarily agree they've been not rude or aggressive, but I've had a couple of instances, you know, where I've had people just I'm wearing my yellow shirt and there's, you know, a guy screaming at me in a petrol station the other day. And, you know, so I'm putting myself out there and I'm taking the hits here because I really believe in standing up for our community, which is what I've been trying to do for quite some time now. So hopefully, hopefully people will get on board and I hope they get to know me and can put aside any preconceived ideas or misinformation they're hearing about Clive. Is At the end of the day, Clive is one person in a party of over 85,000 members now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if we've learned anything over the last two years, it's we can't believe a lot of the things that we get told in the media. For sure. Um, so, you know, all of these things that keep coming up about him, from what I can see is he's he's doing this for his two young daughters. He wants to see a free and fair Australia. And, you know, he doesn't need to be doing this either. He's a multi-billionaire. He yeah. could leave. He doesn't need to do this. He yeah. doesn't need any more power. He doesn't need, you know, and, and the people keep saying he's just doing it to serve his own interests with his mind with mining. But the mining licenses come from state governments and no one's done anything to peeve off the um Queensland and state and uh, Queensland and WA governments than Clive. Mm. So it's just doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I'll kind of wrap it up there. That's yes. perfect. Thanks. That's, that's a good note to finish on. Yeah, Don't believe good. everything you read and yeah. please get behind me if you live in the area because yeah, we really need your support. If you can just come along and hand out how to vote cards for one day, I'm happy to take the hits and I'm taking plenty of them, but I just need a few people to to help me behind the scenes to get the job done. All right, excellent. Now, I'm not going to forget this time. Where can we find you? Best oh, place to find you, your party, all of the details. Best place to find me is to follow my Facebook page, which is Melissa Bannister UAP for Groom. If you can follow me on there, I can kind of keep up to date with what I'm doing. If you want to get my emails, just get in contact with me via Facebook or you can email me groom at unitedashowyouparty.org.au and just let me know if you want to be kept up to date or if you want to volunteer to help. Um, you can get in touch with me that way. Otherwise, you can also have a look on our on our United Australia Party website. All right. So, Excellent. Great. Thanks Thank so much, much for having me, Jai. Thanks for coming. Good.